Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, February 11th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. As day three of the impeachment trial begins, the nation in shock from dramatic videos showing just how close lawmakers came to violent protesters during the attack on Capitol Hill. But even as Democrats make their case using testimony, videos, and other arguments to try to convict the former president, many Republicans are not convinced. An urgent new coronavirus guidelines from the CDC as the agency prepares for the increasing spread of the UK and other new strains here in the US. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with this. Day three of the impeachment trial is now underway as the impeachment managers continue to present their case against former President Trump. The nation is still trying to process the stunning video clips and audio of the deadly insurrection on the Capitol. Andrea Linares has a recap, but we want to warn you that some of the images you're about to see may be disturbing. These never-before-seen images of the siege on the Capitol were presented by Democrats as part of their case against former President Trump. Members of the mob hunting lawmakers in the hallways like House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Oh, Nancy! Nancy! Where are you, Nancy? Pelosi's staff forced to frantically scramble for shelter, barricading themselves inside an office. The evidence will be for you to see and hear and digest. The evidence will show you that ex-President Trump was no innocent bystander. House prosecutors using security footage, police body cameras, and police radio audio as evidence. But this is now effectively a riot. And so they came, draped in Trump's flag, and used our flag, the American flag, to batter and to bludgeon. And at 2.30, I heard that terrifying banging on House chamber doors. Rioters also searching for former VP Mike Pence. This surveillance video showing the moment Secret Service evacuated him down a stairwell. Meanwhile, police officers were outnumbered and overwhelmed both inside and outside the building. And now watch heroic Capitol Police officer Eugene Goodman approach Senator Mitt Romney in a hallway, directing him to turn around to escape the mob. You know how close you came to the mob. Some of you, I understand, could hear them. But most of the public does not know how close these rioters came to you. House managers blaming Trump for this attack, insisting his false claims of a rigged election were part of a months-long drumbeat used to ignite the riot. It's the only way we can lose, in my opinion, is massive fraud. He told them to fight like hell, and they brought us hell on that day. Incited by President Trump, his mob attacked the Capitol. However, many Republicans say that while the rioters committed crimes, Trump is not to blame. 
Trump's team will be presenting their side of the case on Friday. They will also have 16 hours over two days to do so. Then four hours are allowed for senators to go ahead and ask some questions. It's still not known if witnesses will be called in the trial. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And even as the video has been described as graphic, many Republican senators seem unmoved, showing little indication they would change their minds and vote to convict Trump. Claudia Oceda has the latest on the reactions in Washington. Claudia, what are you hearing? Good afternoon, Carolina. There are a lot of reactions from that shocking presentation. There were reports of tense and quiet moments inside of the chamber yesterday. Most senators were glued to the monitors, some even shaking their heads in horror, while others not paying much attention at all. But today, many Republican senators seem unmoved from their position to acquit Trump. The Democrats' strategy of showing how close Pence and Romney, one of their own, came to the mob, might not be having an impact. Here is what the Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina sent in Fox News this morning. Let's take a listen. The not guilty vote is growing after today. I think most Republicans found the presentation by the House managers offensive and absurd. We all know what happened in the Capitol was terrible. I hope everybody involved that broke into the Capitol goes to jail. But I don't remember any of these House managers saying a damn thing when they were trying to break into my house. And people said I didn't pay attention today. They're wrong. The managers have got this cockamamie idea, absurd theory that Donald Trump was monitoring the Proud Boys website and other far-right websites, and that he and Dan Scavino knew this was going to happen, and they encouraged it. That is Looney Tunes. Meanwhile, other Republican senators like Josh Hungley of Missouri were not paying much attention at all. He was seen reviewing paperwork. He was the first Republican senator who opposed the certification of Biden's win. But other Republicans said that they were angry and disturbed after seeing the video. Take a listen. I think that that the House managers are making a very strong case for a timeline that laid out very clearly with the words that were used, when he used them, how he used them, to, to really build the, the anger, the violence that we saw here in this Capitol. The evidence that has been presented thus far is pretty damning. I just, I don't see how uh, Donald Trump could be reelected to the presidency again. Democrats need at least 17 Republicans to convict Trump. Now, back to you. Thank you, Claudia Oceda, for that live report. And joining me now is Shara Torres Spelesi, professor at Stetson University College of Law. Thank you for your time, Professor. Thanks for having me. What is your main takeaway from the last two days of the trial? Uh, I think the Democratic House managers have done an excellent job of reminding the senators who are going to judge Trump's behavior, as well as reminding the nation of how close we came to assassinations of our political leaders on January 6th. 
Now, house managers are expected to wrap up today. What do they need to accomplish during day three? Well, I think they need to continue uh, nailing down the timeline, uh, showing that Trump's words led directly to the crowd uh, becoming incited and, and breaking into the Capitol and doing violence, including uh, killing a police officer on the ground. So I, I think they've been doing an excellent job. I would expect that they will continue doing that uh, today as well. And the house managers have also presented in great detail just how close the mob came to former Vice President Mike Pence and other lawmakers. But have they proven the former president's direct responsibility for this violence? Well, that will be up to each individual senator to make a determination. Uh, and what the Trump team has on their side is... Uh, the constitutional provision which requires a supermajority in order to convict a um, officeholder in an impeachment trial. And uh, if the Republicans all stick to their, their same team, then there won't be enough votes to convict. And do House managers need a first-hand witness to testify about Trump's actions during the riot to discuss his state of mind during those critical hours? Not necessarily. We're not certain that we're going to get live witnesses in this impeachment trial. They were not uh, used in Trump's first impeachment trial, uh, and they might not be used here. Uh, but because the Democrats have control of the Senate, they have more flexibility this time. So if they want live witnesses, they can have live witnesses in this impeachment trial. And Professor, Trump's legal defense will take the stand tomorrow. What can we expect to hear from them? I'm not sure. They had a very strange uh, first day where they seemed ill-prepared and almost tongue-tied. I would hope that they put on a better showing uh, during the defense side of this. Uh, but we shall see. They were hastily put together. And uh, they're not constitutional scholars, which is another sort of oddity of the team that he chose. Well, thank you, Professor Shara Torres-Pelesi of Stetson University College of Law for your time today. Thank you. Now, it looks like former President Trump will not be back on Twitter anytime soon. A Twitter executive says Trump's ban is permanent, even if he wins elected office again. Twitter kicked Trump off the platform last month after the U.S. Capitol riots. They said the move was due to the risk of further incitement of violence. Twitter had already temporarily locked his account at the time. They pointed to several tweets that they believe contributed to an elevated risk of violence. And welcome back to You News. As we continue looking at the fallout from the Capitol riots, the comments on some radio personalities claiming false information about election fraud has mostly been ignored. And joining me now to discuss this is Angelo Carosone, President and CEO of Media Matters for America. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Angelo, talk to us about the right-wing radio. Who are the main personalities and what is at the core of their shows? So the major personalities are people like Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity, uh, Glenn Beck, and a guy by the name of Mark Levin. 
Uh, and when just to give a sense of how many people they're talking to, uh, it's, it ranges. Just those four individuals each have anywhere between 10 and a half and 15 million listeners. That's their average listenership. Each of them individually speaks to that many people. And when you go further down, even the lower tiered right wing radio hosts have five, six, seven million listeners. So the scale is significant. And what they have been saying, um, in, if you just look at 45 of their shows that the New York Times did after the election took place, in more than 90 percent of them, They've been saying that the election was stolen, that it's a fraud, that it's not legitimate. This is what millions of people were hearing every single day for hours uh, in the weeks leading up to the attacks on the Capitol on January 6th. Now, what role do you think they played in spreading Trump's false election claims and instigating the mob that attacked the Capitol? I think if I were to think about their role, one thing that helps illustrate that is what role have they played previously? Uh, and one of the things that right wing radio conservative talk has always done is they've been like a get out the vote operation. Um, they really can move people from just passively listening to getting to the polling stations. They have a demonstrated track record of being able to get people out onto the streets and usually it's to vote. Uh, and so given that, one of the things that they very much helped do was not just lay the framework for the lie uh, that the election was stolen, but to also help raise awareness about the need, as they would describe it, to take action uh, to fight back. I mean, they were using references like, you know, we need to fight, uh, you know, with everything we have. There needs to be blood. Uh, I mean, these are what was being said over and over and over again. So they built the lie, they made the demand, and then they helped raise awareness for the events uh, that were actually being organized around January 6th. So instead of getting out the boat this time, they sort of got out the, the mop. Now, Fox News and Newsmax were spreading similar information and have not been criticized yet. These stations have been have not been. Why is that? I think a lot of times they get, you know, one, people are so used to them being uh, bad that they don't even think that it's worth criticizing them, that we've sort of become desensitized to just how damaging and destructive they are. Um, and they have been. I mean, Fox News in just the first two weeks after the election was called on 774 individual instances, separate segments, in just two weeks, did they say that the election was stolen, a fraud, uh, they promoted conspiracy theories about Dominion and about Smartmatic, which are the, the companies that operated some of the voting machines. Uh, so they are very much a part of this. And I think a big, a big part, big reason is that that people just assume that they're bad and therefore, uh, you know, they're, they're so used to it, they just kind of ignore it. But I don't think they should be ignored because they helped bring it to a different level. They took all of that stuff that was happening at the ground level from radio and they added in legitimacy in a way that didn't previously exist uh, by when it was just limited to radio and online. And they made it much more politically relevant because the thing that Fox News did was bring on Republican members of Congress, Republican senators, and people in the political ecosystem to have them comment and talk about the, uh, the, the lies that were permeating around the election. So they really added the sense, at least amongst the viewers, that um, this was stolen and it is a legitimate thing for me to do to take extra legal measures possibly uh, in order to fight back. And I, I think that's where Fox's harm and Newsmax too really came, came to be. 
Now, what do you think is the future for right-wing outlets like Fox News and talk radio without President Trump? I think that they're going to get worse. Actually, at the end, the, the trend is already there. The, the, because one of the lasting legacies that Trump will provide is that people, especially consumers, the audience doesn't and will not tolerate anything outside of the worldview that had been perpetuated and amplified by Trump. And anything that is opposite that um, will get them backlash. So in fact, we see them digging in more. Um, and I, when I say worse, I don't just mean in terms of lies. I think what you're actually going to see is them become increasingly uh, 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 racist and bigoted, that they will foment racial anxieties in ways that they have not done. I mean, they've been doing it, but not at the level that we've seen for years. Um, and we've already started to see signs of that. They're going to start warning about uh, more caravans. They're going to start attacking Venezuela again uh, and, and you know, feeding more narratives. I mean, one of the stories is that Hugo Chavez was one of the people that stole the election uh, because he was involved in Dominion, according to Fox News and right wing radio. And that's a big part of what they're going to do is that they're going to try to recapture and sort of cement their audience by fomenting more racial anxiety, because that's one guaranteed way of maintaining the, the audience that they have right now. So I think they're going to get worse. Um, but I also think they're going to experience um, some increased backlash from from advertisers and from the companies that promote uh, and platform a lot of these personalities as well. So it's going to be a struggle for quite some time. Very interesting. Thank you so much for your time. Angelo Kirosone of Media Matters for America. Thank you. And we have good news in the fight against COVID-19. Dr. Anthony Fauci is saying vaccinations could be open to the public as early as April. But in the meantime, states are still having a hard time with the lack of vaccine doses. This as variants continue to spread across the country. Lorraine Casares has the latest. Health officials in the UK warning the variant sweeping their country has the potential to sweep the world. Here in the US, the spread of the UK variants now increasing to 34 states, and overall 39 states are reporting at least one foreign variant. California, the latest state to report cases of the South African variant, joining South Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, and Texas. But despite the threat, local officials easing restrictions. In Montana, the governor letting a mask mandate expire. Local jurisdictions may still choose to implement local mask mandates, but the state will no longer have one. As I've said, we will continue to provide incentives to protect the health and safety of Montanans and we will emphasize personal responsibility over mandates. Ohio expected to lift its curfew, Chicago expanding indoor capacity in restaurants, and in New York, sports and entertainment venues are being allowed to reopen later this month with limited capacity. Dr. Anthony Fauci cautioning that declining cases and hospitalizations don't mean we're in the clear. It is conceivable that we are turning the corner on this but we've been fooled before with different surges that came back. Fauci saying the Biden administration plan is to have open vaccination access to the entire population by April. But in the meantime, cities like Los Angeles in crisis, vaccine shortages forcing the closure of five vaccination sites during the upcoming weekend. And I'm very concerned right now. I'm concerned as your mayor that our vaccine supply is uneven, it's unpredictable, and too often inequitable. At City Field in New York, a similar problem. Only 200 shots were available Wednesday. 
Meanwhile, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention now officially recommending double masking, saying it's 92% effective in preventing the spread of COVID-19. This includes wearing a mask with a moldable nose wire, nodding the ear loops on your mask, or wearing a cloth mask over a procedure or disposable mask. The CDC also updating the guidance on second vaccine doses, saying they could be administered up to 42 days after the first shot. This in an effort to help alleviate bottlenecks due to shortages in supply and hard-to-get appointments. Thank you, Lorraine, for that information. And the CDC is also saying that people fully vaccinated with both doses and who have built immunity, which takes about two weeks, do not have to quarantine if exposed to COVID-19, cautioning that there's no data yet on how long that immunity can and will last. Meanwhile, in Northern California, the pandemic has brought huge challenges to the healthcare system, but it's also bringing about another unexpected problem. Jonathan Mejia explains. As the pandemic continues, another growing epidemic has been brewing alongside it, violence and discrimination against Asian communities across the United States. Here in Northern California, attacks have increased, mainly against the weakest and most vulnerable. Like this 71-year-old woman, robbed and beaten as she left the bank. Or this 91-year-old man violently pushed in Oakland's Chinatown. Crime and violence has been happening in our communities. Um, Community activists say the violence is not new, but it has never reached the levels that they are seeing during the pandemic. China virus. Trump calling the coronavirus the Chinese virus has only made things worse. We are excited to say that we've already begun to train. The Oakland police chief announced that they have apprehended a suspect in the attack of the 91-year-old man, but other cases have yet to be solved. I want people to talk about what the problem really is. The son-in-law of a victim says that people have to really see the cause of the attacks. His father-in-law died after being attacked in front of his home in San Francisco. A 19-year-old suspect was charged with murder. It's heartbreaking. And, and sad, and it, and it makes me angry. Community groups have come together to denounce the wave of hate that is targeting their elders and their families. Life is hard enough in the pandemic, but it's even harder when you don't feel safe on the street. Reported by Luis Mejid in San Francisco, Jonathan Mejia, U News. Thank you, Jonathan, for that report. And now schools in Chicago will return to in-person learning. That's after the city's teacher union ratified a plan that will bring students back to classrooms in phases. The first step, pre-K programs will resume on Thursday with older kids coming back to school over the next several weeks. The school district will also set up its own vaccination sites for employees with the goal of vaccinating 1,500 people per week. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. In Southern California, a top law enforcement official has launched the nation's first investigation into a growing problem, wage theft. Jaime Garcia has those details from Los Angeles. 
My schedule will be from 5 in the morning till midnight, six days a week. I work these long hours and my employer will not pay me minimum wage and overtime wage. This had a profound impact in my life. Virgilius Gonzalez's complaint is the same one, shared by thousands of workers who suffer in silence. The biggest economic abuse an employee can be a victim of, the wage theft. I was unable to pay basic necessities. For, for example, I was unable to buy food or clothes. I didn't have enough money to purchase these things for my family. When someone doesn't get his or her wages paid, the bills don't get paid. The rent doesn't get paid. But the wage theft is a crime that not only happens to undocumented immigrants. We're the epicenter of wage theft in the entire nation. In fact, wage theft is greater than all other forms of theft combined. A study shows that every week, workers lose up to $28 million in wage theft in Los Angeles. I receive adjustment for nearly $70,000. However, the judgment of my wage remain unpaid. We don't have the authority to take people into custody. Um, and so that is part of the incredible value of this partnership. Giving teeth to the law, Sheriff Alex Villanueva launched the first in its kind, Wage Theft Task Force, that will work under the Human Trafficking Unit. This will not only receive complaints, but also will ensure that employers pay salary restitution when a judicial order is issued. Much like you see with eviction processes or notices, we will be the branch of government which will then go out and serve the employer of the judge's orders for restitution, meaning wages that were stolen from them. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.